But in this first hour today, should an equal, high-quality education be enshrined as a constitutional right for every American? For those who followed my work, I've been talking about this for years, whether or not and why, in fact, we do not have an equal, high-quality educational right enshrined in the Constitution for every single American child. I'm pleased to be joined now by Columbia Law Professor James S. Liebman, one of the key architects behind a proposed initiative that seeks to do just that first here in the state of California. I've often said, since we're heard across the nation, I've often said that what happens in California politics can either cast a long shadow or a long sunbeam across the nation. If this can get done in California, I believe it cast a long sunbeam across the nation since, at the moment, it doesn't appear to be a path to get this done at the federal level. You understand the process one has to go through uh, to get anything changed in our Constitution. But can it be done at least state by state, guaranteeing every child access to an equal, high-quality education? And why is that not in our Constitution anyway? Think of all the rights that we have. Why have we uh, not heretofore gotten around to guaranteeing every child of this country access to an equal, high-quality education? James S. Lieben, good to have you on the program, sir. How are you today, Professor? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's my great delight to have you on. Um, you note in my phraseology, because I've discussed this for so many years, I'm just honored to have you on and delighted that somebody is actually taking this thing seriously, uh, at the state level at least. Um, I, always, uh, I, always, I always phrase it the way that I just did, access to an equal, high-quality education. And that word equalism is, is, is important to me because um, the standard has to be the same. I don't care what the standard is. The answer to that question is pretty simple. Whatever the best is in the country, that's going to be the standard. We'll find the best. That becomes the standard. And then everybody has access to that particular standard. So to my mind, it's not just about guaranteeing the right um, to uh, a, a good education, but an equal, high-quality education, that language matters to me. It makes a difference. But give me your sense of that, your read of that, and then we'll jump from there. Well, I entirely agree with you. I, I guess I would start from the proposition that quality uh, means equality. Part of quality is equality. Mm -hmm. We need a lot of learning, and we need that learning to be spread across all of the kids in school. Um, and um, I do think that it's an important um, a place to start at the state level. We have 50 state constitutions. Every one of them requires the state to provide a system of free, universal public schools for everybody. And uh, uh, that served us fairly well um, until recently. But now what we need to do is add those words that you have just uh, added to the mix here, which is a free, universal, high quality, which includes a uh, equality um, education um, that we're insisting that the state provide for all kids across the board. Mm -hmm. Two things right quick here. One, why uh, has this terrain not been traversed before? Well, the terrain has been tra uh, traversed before in a lot of senses. Um, uh, we started having these education provisions in the United States um, uh, constitutions, the 50 state constitutions, way back in the 19th century. Um, and there were a number of school um, uh, states at that point that required all schools in their states uh, to be provided as um, uh, thorough and efficient. 
Those are words that mean something different to us today than they meant then. But what they meant then was high-quality education for all students. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one uh, uh, thing that, that, you know, I think is really important. Um, the other problem is that it used to be that what the schools needed to do was basically to prepare all kids for at least a factory job, mm-hmm. that kind of a job. Well, now um, our kids need to be able as adults to do things that go way beyond what we were preparing uh, them for 100 years ago and the like. And so that's why we have this need to have a higher quality education that then has been sufficient up until now. Malcolm X once said that education is our passport to the future. Education is our passport to the future because tomorrow belongs to those who prepare for it today. That's Malcolm X. Can you imagine if every black child in this country were guaranteed access to an equal, high-quality education. The problem is, as Professor Liebman's already said, there are 50 states, 50 different ways of doing it. We'll break that down when we come forward. Just getting started. It's going to be a great hour talking about um, access to high-quality education for our babies. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Seeking the truth. The truth. Speaking, Speaking the, truth. the truth. This, this is the Tavis Smiley, Smiley Show. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. I'm Tavis Smiley. Our guest in this hour is James S. Liebman, professor at Columbia Law School, one of the key architects behind a proposed initiative seeking to make education a constitutional right, first in California and then scaled up around the country. Professor Liebman, let me start um, by asking you to give me a, a bit more detail about the initiative's origins. I believe this can certainly for poor people and for uh, children of color. This can be a game changer. So glad to see you uh, on the front lines of this fight. But tell me more about the initiative's origins, and then we'll jump from there. Well, there's a long history of efforts to, you know, enforce um, uh, a good education for kids across the country. Um, there was obviously the whole movement towards uh, racial equality and to get rid of racial segregation across schools. Uh, in the country that um, uh, gave us Brown versus Board of Education and then was enforced for decades after that. Um, and that gave kids, um, all kids, the right to get into all of our schools. Um, but it did not, in the end, give all kids access to that equal quality education that you spoke about. There were a whole set of efforts also to uh, improve the funding of public education by trying to equalize the funding. Um, and that helped. But it turned out that having more funding or at least more equal funding across schools, uh, although necessary, was not sufficient uh, to achieve the quality that we want and to achieve the learning outcomes that we want across the country. Um, and courts um, uh, uh, time and time again said, We've kind of gone about as far as we can go, because what we have now is a state constitution that says you have to have uh, uh, an education for all students. When we look out there and there's a school and there's a teacher uh, and there's a book for all of the kids, and we don't really have anything that we can hang our hats on legally to go beyond that. And you even had some school systems that were not performing very well, and when people objected, they pointed to their state constitution and said, we're doing everything that we're required to do. So that led a number of us to say, well, uh, we need something more. We need those constitutions to say something more. Uh, And not that any old school um, uh, will do, but that we need a high quality school. 
And part of this is because we know so much more now than we used to know about what makes a high-quality school, how to measure whether a school is providing high-quality learning for all of the students. And so we can actually help the courts um, and we can help individual school systems and states without getting into court to figure out what it means to give a high-quality education and then to provide it. So part of this is just trying to push the envelope and say we've got to go another step. And part of it is we just have much better tools than we used to have to be able to um, in, insist and ensure that what we're giving our kids qualifies as a high-quality, equal public education. I called it a political game changer, a potential rather, potential game changer. Uh, but give me your sense of what the potential impact would be if we could get this done state by state. Well, you, you said it yourself. Just imagine what it would mean in this country if we didn't just have all of our kids in school, but we had all of them learning at the level at which they are capable of learning. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that uh, in some of our states, kids learn more than in others. We know that in some countries, kids learn more than others. And in those states, in those countries, those kids are better off. Those states are better off. Uh, there's more cohesion among the populace in those states. Um, and so if we could spread that across all of our states, all of our schools, all of our kids, the um, uh, capacity for our kids to succeed better in life, the capacity for our states and our communities to hold together better and to um, have better economic outcomes uh, would be tremendously um, improved. Uh, and this, is, this has been proven, uh, you know, constantly by the relationship between better social outcomes, better um, economic outcomes, better outcomes vis-a-vis -vis the criminal justice system, everything tied to levels of eco uh, educational attainment. Hmm. So let me let me muddy the waters if, if I can for a moment here. Um, and I'll start with this. Uh, there are, of course, 50 states, uh, 50, 50 different ways of doing this. And to your earlier point, um, kids in different states get a different level uh, of high quality education, putting that in air quotes, however one defines that. So, for example, in Washington state, where there are any number of major American corporations that are headquartered, their tax base is higher. We know that education funding uh, is tied to tax base. So in the state of Washington, you get a better education just because there are so many corporations, uh, multinationals that are headquartered in that state. Uh, mm -hmm. By contrast, in, say, Mississippi, the state of my birth, um, Mississippi used to have as their greatest export cotton. These days it's catfish. You got to sell and eat a whole lot of catfish uh, to, to have the level of, of, of tax base, the level of funding in Mississippi that they have in Washington state. You're taking a risk eating all that catfish every day just to get your tax base up higher. My point is, even if there is a constitutional amendment on the uh, a constitutional uh, uh, provision, uh, a constitutional right in each of these states, I'm still not sure I'm looking I'm still not sure I'm, I'm seeing the balance that I need to see for kids in Mississippi versus kids in Washington state. So unpack that for me, if it makes sense at all. Well, I'm so glad that you brought up Mississippi um, because Mississippi for years and years, for decades, um, was the bottom state or two. I'm, I'm from New Mexico. It was another state that was constantly um, 49th or 50th in learning attainment, however you measured it. Mm -hmm. But the, it is the case now that people are talking about the Mississippi miracle. And that's because Mississippi uh, school attainment 
um, has vastly increased over the last 10 years. Indeed, across uh, much of the South, but not all of it, uh, you see this great uh, increase in educational attainment. Uh, Mississippi sits right next to uh, Alabama. Alabama is not seeing it. Mississippi is. And we see this all over the country, places that are very similar to each other. In some places, the kids are learning a lot more than in others where they are not. And when we start digging into it, it turns out that what schools, states, school districts, charter management organizations, whatever it is, what they do day to day makes a difference. And that difference is the difference between more and less learning. Yes, funding is really important. And we have to get it up to a given level. And the, it's true across the country that the better kids do in school, the more the public is willing to spend on schools because then they, they believe that their money is being well spent. Mm-hmm. So there's a relationship there between getting pushing towards higher quality and justifying and achieving greater funding. But funding, though, again, necessary is not sufficient. Um, and we see this across the world as well. Um, if you look at Finland, it vastly outperforms the uh, educational attainment in Sweden, Norway, Denmark. Why is that? Well, it's because Finland is doing things differently in its schools um, than is true of other countries very much like it. And that's because um, they've committed themselves to equal, high-quality education. And so we have to push on all fronts. Funding is crucial. But we also have to push on the front of the responsibility that our schools and our systems feel and the steps they take to, to use the resources they have to get um, better education and more learning taking place. I'm glad you mentioned, you, you were glad I mentioned Mississippi. I'm glad you mentioned Finland. I want to get back to Finland in just a second. One of the things that Finland does quite different than this country, other countries, is they value teachers. Teachers are almost like rock stars in Finland. Um, they are treated with uh, extreme uh, respect, um, at, with great regard, and that's not the way we teach uh uh, treat teachers in this country. I'll come back to Finland in just a second. Put a pin in that. Let me stay with this money thing for a second, though. Um, here in California, again, where this uh, radio show is is flagship, uh, there was a poll that came out a week or so ago. We discussed it on this program. The whole country has, has heard about it. People are talking about it. Uh, the nation is watching the state of California to see how we're going to do or not on the issue of reparations, as you well know. So we are the, the test tube, if you will, uh, test tube baby, everybody watching California. As I said earlier on California politics, what we do here cast a long shadow or a long sunbeam across the nation. So black folk everywhere are watching California to see what we're going to do. Now this uh, the task force has made their recommendations. Um, the legislature is deciding what they will do in reparations, and that could be scaled up potentially around the country, depending on what the California legislature does. Having said that, this recent poll found that basically 60% of Californians are opposed, uh, dramatically opposed to any cash payments for reparations. Why do I raise that? Um, there, I suspect if there were another poll, you'd see a lot of other Californians suggesting those of a certain age, those who, shall we say, are chronologically gifted, their kids have already gone through the school system. you got to convince them um, that their tax money uh, is, 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 is well spent improving an education system, which at this point they no longer have a vested interest in as they see it. If that makes sense to you, uh, I'm, I'm still pressing on this issue of how we get everyday people in California or any other state uh, to understand that once you put a constitutional right on the books, that means more money is coming from somewhere to do the job. Yes, no, 
right, wrong? It means more money, um, but it doesn't just mean money. And it also doesn't mean that we're pouring money into a system without some uh, evidence that it's making a difference. And one of the ways to understand this right to high quality education is that we're going to start looking and seeing what the learning actually is in schools. Um, and we're going to hold those schools that aren't doing so well to the standard and the duty to bring bring up their standard. Um, and the the idea is, and this has happened across the country in different places, where you've had a race to the top, where things have improved across all school, uh, all schools and all school systems in a given state. And as a result of that, people feel like the money that they're putting into their education system is paying back. It's paying back to the community, not just to those kids who are in school, uh, but it's paying back to the community. And there, there are two, two ways that this is true. Of course, it's economically the case that if your locality doesn't have a workforce that is well prepared, you're going to have trouble bringing in the kind of industry that you just talked about. Why is Mississippi making this big move in education? Because they want to attract those businesses that you pointed out are in Washington state right now. Uh, so that's important. But the other part of this that I think people are feeling dramatically across our country is whether our democracy can hold, mm. whether we can hold things together. There seems to be this this constant uh, uh, pushing of, of our communities apart from each other. Well, there's only one place in this country where we get everybody together to be able to learn to work together and to experience the process of working together, and that is our public schools. Sometimes during war we have that in our military, but constantly the only place we have it is in our schools. And if we can't attract families to put their kids in those schools and we um, encourage them to put their kids in private schools where we just foster more division and more fragmentation, I think a lot of people realize that that will be bad for the country. And so our public schools are really important to holding the country together. Um, but they have to be better because if they're not better, people won't put their kids in them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that whole set of uh, outcomes and that whole set of, of values that can emerge from our public schools are so central to people's thinking that if they have some confidence that our schools will provide equal high quality, uh, then they'll be willing to support them, happy to support them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a kind of back and forth. You've got to improve the schools so people are more willing to do that. People are more willing to do that and put the resources in. The schools can improve some more. And we've got to get that virtuous cycle going. And that, this is part of that. It's not as if it'll be the only thing, but it's part of that, getting that virtuous cycle going. Let me ask you this question, though, with about two minutes to respond, and then we'll continue when we come forward. Um, since you mentioned privatization, and by the way, you, you just said a mouthful. There are a number of things I want to interrogate there when we come forward. But uh, let me just ask you point blank. What uh, will be the impact on this penchant? This penchant for privatization that we have in everything, but we're talking now about education. Uh, what happens to the, the issue, the notion of privatization, if we guarantee every child in this country uh, access to an equal high quality education? Yeah, well, I, I share your view, which I think you're saying that this privatization is an extremely dangerous uh, force in Agreed. our country. Because Agreed. it would just pull us apart in so many ways that we're already being pulled apart and that our schools in the past have... Uh, always provided a, a bulwark against. 
Uh, most people don't realize this, but since the 1860s, when we started counting in the federal government, 90 percent of all children who were in school in this country were in public schools. That number is starting to go down. Um, and if it goes down too much, we're going to have a real dangerous situation of everybody being pulled apart. But we give families, and rightly so, the ability to choose in this country where they want to put their kids. If they don't want them in public school, they don't have to. So our public schools have to get better to convince families to keep their kids in public schools the way they've always done. And that's why uh, the quality of our public schools matters. And I think a lot of this is because of the pandemic. People actually watched their kids getting uh educated on their computer, kids' computers at home. And many families, especially black families, were not happy about what they saw Mm -hmm. and started thinking about alternatives. We've got to get our schools up to a higher quality. So families, including our black families in particular, are are confident that that's the place where their kids should be. A lot more to talk about in this hour as we continue this conversation about um, a constitutional right. Um, guaranteeing every child in this nation access to an equal, high-quality education. We'll get back to this notion of uh, how they uh, treat teachers in Finland and how we uh, treat teachers here. Um, We'll get back to the argument that uh, many blame the teachers' union for the state of teachers' unions across the country uh, for the state of our education. We'll talk about, as George Bush once put it, the soft bigotry of low expectations. And we'll talk about whether or not this democracy can, in fact, hold if we don't fix what wrong with our education system. You're listening to James S. Liebman out of Columbia Law right now on Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley in dialogue with James S. Liebman, professor at Columbia Law School and one of the architects behind uh, this innovative uh, initiative uh, to make education a constitutional right, first in California, hopefully, and then uh, we'll scale it up across the nation. I've been discussing this issue for years. Uh, and while we can't do this at the federal level, of course, the federal level is, is a bit more challenging because there's a great deal that goes into changing the Constitution. Professor Liebman, for those who don't uh, have, don't recall what it takes to change the Constitution, since you teach this stuff every day, just give us a quick refresher course on why it might be easier to go the state route than the federal route. Well, the state route, um, uh, first of all, education has always been considered to be a state um, uh, endeavor. The states have always had provisions in their constitutions about education. And so one of the arguments about why not to do it at the federal level is that it's, a, it's a, an obligation of the states. But if you try to do it at the federal level, you have to get uh, three-quarters of the states uh, already. The states have to support the changing of the federal constitution um, to get then the federal government to go ahead and make that change. So the way it works is Congress may come up with a proposal for a a federal constitutional amendment, but then the states each have to, uh, most of the states have to come along and uh, approve uh, that creation of the right. So in effect, you've got to get the states to do it anyway. Um, It's always going to be easier Mm -hmm. to do it at the states. And right now, and you know and I know that federal politics being the way they are, including just being kind of stuck hard to get anything done at the federal level. Yep. Um, uh, that's why 
uh, that's why California, as you point out, has taken it upon itself in so many areas to be that sunbeam for the rest of the country, um, because you can get things done at the state level, and this is true all over the country. And so um, it just seemed at this point in time to make so much more sense uh, to work at the state level and to start with California, which has so much influence elsewhere in the country, um, and try to make this happen. You mentioned uh, our federal politics. Um, let me just pivot for a second, then we'll come right back uh, on center here. Um, but I think these things are not disconnected. Um, we, we're, we're talking um, every day, of course, on this program, every program, every newspaper, every media outlet in the country is obsessed these days, as perhaps we should be, uh, with this next uh, e- election cycle, particularly at the presidential level. Uh, and whether or not we're going to see, you know, part two of uh, Biden uh, v. Uh, uh, Trump, um, we shall see. Uh, but one thing that's clear to me, and I say this with as much humility <laughs> as I can, with as much grace as I can muster, uh, it is abundantly clear to me that we are living in a moment with a dumbed down demos. Our demos has been dumbed down uh, for a variety of reasons. But it's hard to to make sense of some of the polls and surveys and studies that you get some of the points of view, the POV about Donald Trump, what people believe about him. Um, it, it's hard to make sense of, of, again, what we are experiencing and witnessing in real time. Uh, as I put it, once again, I think it's abundantly clear that we have a dumbed down demos. And these are people who are you know, reasonably or relatively educated. So it raises the, it raises the question, again, as I, as, I, as I pivot right quick here, it raises the question about what the value of education is anyway. <laughs> If we educate folk and then in our politics, we see how stupid they can be believing things that you'd have to be from outer space to actually believe. But that's the country that we live in. I'm not sure there's a question there, but sound off on it any way you want. Well, it's interesting that you put it that way. I I absolutely agree that we ought to think about what the purposes and value of education is. Um, And I've spent uh, the past summer reading about what the framers of our U.S. uh, government, the Constitution, uh, and um, the great educators and thinkers about education in the United States, think of Horace Mann, think of um, uh, John Dewey, mm-hmm. what they understood the purpose of education to be. And it goes exactly to the point that you made. The United States was a country that suddenly said, we're not going to have a ruler who tells us what to do. We're going to let the people rule. But when we do that, we need to have an educated populace, but also a populace uh, that respects each other and trusts each other to be able to solve problems together. Uh, because if we don't have that, then we're not going to be able to make this democracy work. And so their vision of public schooling was that you would get a lot of people together, you'd get the kids together, and they would learn together actually how to problem solve. Um, because we have two kinds of problems. One kind of problem is we don't really know what the facts are. We don't know how things work. So we got to figure out how they work so we can make things work better. Um, and that's something that kids can do, and they do better, it turns out, if they do it together than individually. So schools ought to be teaching that so that people don't fall back on their um, uh, what they disagree about. They say, let's figure it out. Let's get together and figure out what the facts are. And then, of course, we have moral disagreement, um, and that moral disagreement causes a lot of problems. But the solution to that, our framers thought, was to have everybody respect each other and tolerate each other, understanding that we're going to have people disagreeing, but being willing to be tolerant of each other and respect each other. And we see that breaking down as well. And so I think those are things that our public schools need to be able to do. 
that they have done in the past. And I would call those things be a part of what a high quality education is about. So I don't want to cast total, you know, you know, aspersions on on the public system for causing all of the problems that we have in this country. Mm -hmm. But I sure do think that the public schools, if they got better, could help deal with those problems and moderate those problems. So let me ask you point blank then, because it seems uh, that you and I agree uh, on this, that uh, our democracy is fragile. Uh, And I'm wondering whether or not you think that uh, given that fragility, this democracy can in fact hold, to use your phrase, if we don't find a way sooner than later to guarantee every child, regardless of race, color, religion, creed, etc., if we can't find a way to guarantee every child in this country access uh, a constitutional right to an equal high-quality education? Well, I'm an optimist at heart, and I believe that in the end we can work together. But I am scared and worried that if we don't improve our public ed- our, our public schools, then we're going to have to face the question that you just raised. Can can our democracy hold? Um, can our country hold? And I guess what my uh, answer to that is to be optimistic by being optimistic that we can improve our public schools. And one way we can do that is by recognizing a right and a duty uh, to have public schools that are high quality and, 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 and promote equality. Mm-hmm. And that through that mechanism, we can make really important strides to solving these problems that we have with our democracy. So that's the best I can give you. <laughs> I, I, I receive it. Uh, when we come forward, I want to have a conversation specifically uh, about teachers. And there are a number of ways I want to get at this. One, uh, there are a lot of folk on the right, on the political right, who say that when it comes to uh, fixing what's wrong with our education system at the epicenter of it, the, the persons to blame the most are, in fact, the teachers, namely the teachers' unions. Uh, and so you can't talk about um, an effort to guarantee every child in this country access to an equal high-quality education and leave teachers out of that conversation. So we'll talk about that. Uh, I'll tell you more about the way they treat teachers in Finland versus the way we te- uh, treat teachers here in this country. And and then I want to, uh, speaking of teachers, talk about what George, uh, George W. Bush once called, and I wasn't a fan of his education policies, but what he once referred to a great line as the soft bigotry of low expectations. That's George Bush, maybe the smartest thing he ever said, uh, the soft bigotry of low expectations. What does it mean? Uh, what would it mean to guarantee every child in this country access to an equal high quality education if in the classroom there are still instructors who are engaged in the soft bigotry of low expectations for certain students of color in those classrooms? I digress for now. We'll continue when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. Indeed, we continue our conversation now with James S. Liebman, a professor at Columbia Law, talking about um, this process of guaranteeing every child in this country access to an equal, high-quality education. There's a, an initiative uh, that we hope will take hold here in the state of California first, and if we can succeed here in this state, um, the song says, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Of course, there in that song is referring to New York City. <laughs> but if we can make it work in California, perhaps it can make uh, sense across the next uh, the rest of the nation and that's what professor uh, uh, Lieben and others are attempting to do uh with the um, constitution here in the state of california we shall see if it can be scaled up um let me start with this uh, professor Liebman, this notion of teachers and so uh, you know you raised the issue earlier i just wanted to put a finer uh, finer point on it um in finland you offered an example about finland in this dialogue uh, in finland they teach uh, teachers are treated very differently than we treat them here in this country yes 
That is true. Um, it's also true, however, that the other Nordic countries uh, treat their teachers well as, um, uh, as, as Finland does. So that's necessary, too, but it's not enough. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think Finland is so important, an example, um, because what Finland does that's different is, and it really goes back to your point about the soft bigotry of low expectations, what Finland does, Finland outperforms the rest of the world in education. Why? Because their bottom third of students perform better than the bottom third of students elsewhere in the country. They learn more than elsewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because they take it upon themselves to um, dedicate themselves to the proposition that every one of those kids can learn. And we are going to, if the kids aren't learning, that's our fault, not the kids' fault. Mm. And we're going to find out why. And we're going to do that in a very structured, um, uh, uh, transparent way um, with the idea that we are going to um, work together. And they understand their teachers as being key um, participants in this because they know more than pretty much anyone else does about what's going on with those kids. And they have these structures, these working teams that essentially dedicate themselves to finding out why it is that this child is not learning. What are we doing wrong that is not enabling that child to learn? And so it's the combination of trusting your teachers, believing in your teachers, Mm. knowing that the knowledge that you need resides with your teachers, and giving them structures in which they are um, obliged and want to and have the structures to work together to figure out how to get better with each kid. Um, along the way, and, and and you have no low expectations for anybody. You have high expectations for all. That requires, what you just described now, Professor Liebman, requires a level of humility uh, to say that if these kids are not learning, it's not them, it's us, something is wrong, we are going to fix it. Again, it requires a level of humility, not hubris, but humility, and I'm not sure we, we, we possess that in this country. Well, I agree with that in, in a very uh, you know straightforward way, and in effect, what we see this uh, uh, duty to provide a high-quality um, public education is essentially making it the policy of the state, constitutional, fundamental, that all kids can learn, that you cannot have low expectations because mm-hmm. the state has high expectations for all of them. And so it's an encouragement, a duty to sit down and try to figure it out. And you're right, it is humility. But it's the humility that we actually want to teach our kids. Mm-hmm. We've got lots of problems. They're hard to solve. Let's figure out how to do it, and let's teach ourselves and have uh, processes and structures to learn how to do that. Um, and so that's why we think this is so important uh, to encourage folks to have that humility, but also the responsibility that goes with the humility that leads to improvement. Our remaining moments with uh, James S. Liebman of Columbia Law when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. What's up, party people? It's your favorite MC's favorite rapper, MC Light here. And we're celebrating 50 years of hip-hop, authentically powered by Cadillac. And we're going to take it way back to where it started. It was only fitting that hip-hop began with teenagers at a back-to-school jam in the rec room of a South Bronx apartment complex by an 18-year-old brother. By the way, 
I'm also sure he had a Cadillac parked outside. He noticed the energy on the dance floor when he switched between two turntables, extending the beats, repeating the breaks, and never losing the rhythms. And that was the birth of hip-hop. And from that moment, it took off. For more on how Cadillac is celebrating hip-hop's 50th, visit Cadillac.com forward slash audacity. Some people... He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Right now. Professor Liebman, i got about four minutes left in uh, this dialogue with you that I have uh, enjoyed immensely and learned a great deal. Thank you for your time. Um, let me let me ask um, uh, about process. And so we've said a few times in this conversation that um, you and your cohorts are attempting to, to attempting, slow down, Tavis, attempting to do this first in the state of California. We shall see what happens after that. Long, uh, long uh, sunbeam uh, or, or, or shadow. Um, but give me some sense of process uh, of what would happen, what would have to happen, and where you are in that process. So what needs to happen, uh, first of all, is for signatures to be collected in across California um, to get enough signatures to justify putting on the ballot um, in um, uh, no- November a year from now um, the, uh, the referendum proposal to create this um, duty on the part of all uh, the state and, and districts in the state to provide high-quality uh, schools. There then would be a vote, um, and if a majority uh, of people, uh, voters in, in California vote for it, then it would become part of the California Constitution. And what's, I think, really important about this is this is stated as a duty on the part of the state and the school districts and all other school um, uh, actors, charter schools, et cetera, in the state um, to provide this high-quality um, uh, education. And so the idea is we're not going to wait for people to have to sue. This is a duty that every one of those districts, uh, state officials, charter school officials, et cetera, uh, have from the minute that gets adopted to start working to determine whether they are providing a high-quality education and if not, uh, to do so. Um, and so the whole idea of the way this is drafted is to make it sort of self-executing. The minute it's adopted, everybody in the state who's providing uh, you know, public schooling has the obligation to ask the question whether it's high quality and if not to do th- something to uh, improve that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because I live in the state of California, uh, I understand quite well, as we all do, how this ballot proposition process works. Uh, and the minute anything gets qualified for the ballot, um, you're going to have a whole bunch of folks fighting you. And then we're going to be stuck watching TV commercials every 30 seconds oh, oh, from one side uh, and the other side, making their point to California voters. Um, so who do you expect to fight you on this ballot initiative? Well, you know, we're hoping uh, that there won't be huge organized uh, opposition to it. Because um, uh, the idea of a high-quality public uh, school for everybody is so uh, common sense that people won't oppose it. Um, People in the community, we're hoping, uh, including teachers, uh, especially teachers, uh, including uh, the union, uh, will not seek to oppose it because it's a principle that supports what they do every day, and it's designed to make their jobs better, easier, and uh, uh, to, to get where they want to go. Uh, teachers across the country and across California, uh, 99.99% of them, they want their kids to learn. They want them to learn more. They want the, the, the funding. They want the structures. They want the freedom and the support that you get in Finland 
to enable their kids to learn. And so we're very, very hopeful uh, that they will be um, supportive of this across the uh, board as well as others. Um, and so, you know, um, I think there are a number of people who feel like anything we ask the government to do is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, th- there may be some people like that who um, uh, will oppose this just because they mistrust government. Um, but um, apart from that, we're very much hoping that this is such a common sense idea that it will have broad support across the state. From your mouth to God's ears, um, but I ain't going to hold my breath. <laughs> I, know, I know how this process works, and there'll be somebody pushing back against that. To your point, likely those on the right who think this is not the proper role of government. I digress for now. We'll talk somewhere down the road as this thing starts to gain some steam. He is James S. Liebman, professor of law at Columbia. Professor Liebman, thank you for your work and witness, and thank you, sir, for this conversation. I deeply appreciate it. Thank you for having me.